We don't learn about it in school. We probably didn't learn about it at home. We're not learning about it on the job. So why should we know how to speak it? Hi, this is Alice. And this is Shafali. And you're listening to Pete's Admit. Alice, today we're going to be talking about that super taboo topic that's really important to medicine and to life, and that is money. Yes, we are finally doing it. Today we're here with Shannon McClay. She's a financial advisor with a podcast of her own, and we're asking her our pediatric-specific questions. I'm super excited about this. I have so many questions for her, and I feel like this is something that nobody ever really talks about enough, so I can't wait to get started. Couldn't agree more. Let's hit it. We're here with Shannon McClay. She used to work at Merrill Lynch. Now she runs the Financial Gym, which is a large financial planning company with members and branches in almost all 50 states. And she's here to help talk about how to manage finances as a pediatric resident. Shannon, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. As I said to you, ladies offline, the pediatric professionals is a, is a topic near and dear to my heart. My stepmom's a retired pediatrician and my dad is a pediatric surgeon. So big fans of the work you guys oh, do. Well, thank you. And I'm a mom of a 14-year-old son. So we appreciate yeah, your service I, I, and their service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it always blows my mind too, to think about being a pediatrician. You think about it's from like birth. You know, I remember the pediatrician on call the day Will was born. That's my son. And then, you know, and, and you look at that too, like the range of what you see as a professional is like remarkable. You know, you really have to know a lot. So true. It's 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 sometimes wild to go from seeing a newborn to like a teenager in in one clinic session. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me. Thank you. And thanks for it. Helps that you yes, know yes. our background too. That's like a, you know mm-hmm. it's a big part of it. Um, so we kind of just want to get start with some basics of. I, I think this is the question that most residents have, particularly when you're starting residency. How do you create a budget for yourself, and how do you live on a residence budget? Yeah, um, I think a a big problem we see that happens, especially around the residency time, is that, um, you know, there's that you're living off, you tend to live off debt or credit cards or some other product because the pay is so horrible. And you have to, it's like this bridging the gap time between the, the next stage where you can make more money. And the biggest thing that we would like to see our resident clients do is to avoid, like, live on the most efficient budget possible um, mm-hmm. and and try to minimize the amount of debt you're accumulating in this time because, you know, everything just compounds and interest compounds. And uh, it's uh, we make a lot of references at the gym with physical health and financial health. And it's like it and as medical professionals, you get it. It's just like um, it's just like the debt and the other things like added weight. And it's you can work off the weight and we have, you know, clients doing, especially if you know, there's a six figure plus job out there for you when you exit the residency program, but you know, none of that is guaranteed. And so, you know, it's, it, and it is a lot of deprivation and trying not to indulge as much. And it's tempting because you come through medical school and that's a lot of deprivation there too. Um, And, you know, it's easy to kind of go down that path and, you know, doctors' finances in general are horrible. Really? You know, just like they say, like, doctors have poor physical health, you know, the irony. There's also a lot of poor financial yeah. health with doctors because it's this, 
you your most of your 20s is in school accumulating debt and whatever and then there is a trajectory out of it but then once you get out of it you're like almost trying to make up for the the time of not you know all your friends are making money and doing all these things on this different curve and then you're trying to make up for it when that's the time to catch up from it i this story i always love to tell this couple of mine they i they became clients right after she finished it was her surgical residency and so they were it was like, right. Then she was making the big money, you know, after the next thing. And I asked them, I was like, so what are you like, what are your goals? She's like, well, I want to get a BMW and, you know, wanted the big house and all the things. And I was like, okay, you know, well, let's see. They had a bunch of credit card debt from yeah. like that had $150,000 of student loan debt. And I was like, okay, let's just kind of prioritize a few things like student loans. And I know we're going to talk about that. It's like, we can, that's a longer term strategy. So we'll manage through that. I said, we'll, you know, deal with the other stuff. And then they had two cars that were about paid off. So we got into, they've been clients of my four years now, but we got into the one year review and the car was paid off the Honda. And I was like, so are you ready for the new BMW? She's like, you know what? I don't really need it. I really like seeing the money in my account. I really like it growing. And she's like, but I get so much flack in the doctor's parking lot because I'm in the yeah. Honda and there's like the BMWs and the Lexuses in the doctor's parking lot. And I was like, well, we all know what they what their bank account looks like. So let's not let's not keep up with those kids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, especially surgeon culture. That's intense, right? Like to be rolling oh, in, in a Honda. Right. In pediatrics, I feel like we see uh, everyone drives a yeah. normal car. I think it's like actually out of the norm to see one of the more, you know, not to say that you can't or you don't deserve it, but it's at least a lot less, I think, competitive. Oh, yeah. There's that. a different, yeah, there's the different hierarchies of like ego. <laughs> like, yeah. And, like, you know, where they go in the medical profession and people, pediatric profession mm-hmm. in general. I've talked about this a lot with my dad because, you know, he's a pediatric surgeon and he's like, you know, in sur- ge- surgery in general, like pediatric surgery, like there's less ego in general than like an orthopedic surgeon or like a cardiovascular. So that's good to know that um, that there's not the car. Yeah. And the flip side of that is that when you think about like what the general public thinks of as like a doctor salary, it's not a pediatrician yeah. salary. And I think that that is a, is a thing that we have to think about a little bit more. Uh, a lot of the financial stuff I've seen online for doctors is typically written by, even if it's written by an internal medicine person, they're making a lot more coming out of residency than we do as pediatricians. And so it's hard to use some of that advice because the salaries that they're earning in their first or second years as attendings are sometimes nowhere near our income potential, even like 10 years into our profession. So I think for us, there's like an added layer of you can't spend out of control because you're you're not you don't have that growth. It's just not going to be yeah. that. So there's no giant yeah. payoff, but there's also yeah. That being said, obviously we're not hurting, and you know I think our attending salaries are still like three times what we make as re- like there. It's significantly more coming out of residency, which I think is helpful. But um, I think there's even that added layer of like responsibility there that you have to be a little bit more. Yeah, you know, tighter what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we have that conversation. If we, if we get clients who are in residency, it's like again, this is the time 
to to balance the um, it, it's again horrible pay, and you have you know thankfully you don't have to pay the student loan debt back while you're residency. Right. So that's the good thing. But you know interest is accruing. Yes, <laughs> uh, while you're sleeping, so that's tough. But yeah. like, but yeah, we we talk about that with clients too. You know, some the normalization of the debt loads of um, people coming out of medical school is. Uh, it's staggering. First of all, I mean, it's like, it's very difficult to even get out of medical school without six figures of debt. But then Mm -hmm. the degree of debt is also, you know, challenging that when you don't have a grasp of like how you're going to repay that and Mm -hmm. how it looks for a future neurosurgeon who might make $600,000 versus a pediatrician who might make $150,000. Yeah. I mean, so when you're uh, student loans in general, we we take a, it's a long-term approach because I don't care if you have $50,000, $250,000, it's like running a marathon. It's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the biggest thing to note is what kind of student loans do you have? Like, what do they look like? Knowing where where they are and, and having the different categories. If you have federal student loans, we highly recommend consolidating them as soon as possible. When you consolidate, it it brings everything back to zero and it takes your average of interest rates, but you have essentially, you you could take eight loans and it becomes one. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, the consolidation is the biggest thing that you need for future repayment options too. So, you know, what we tell our clients, there's, I think one of the best things that, that you could have, depending on your trajectory and where your residency is and where you're going, something that we see is if you're working, if your residency is out of a nonprofit situation, if you out of a hospital, you're working at for a nonprofit, and you're on that trajectory, then you will be on the trajectory for public student loan forgiveness, PSLF. And this mm-hmm. is a big thing that we want, you know, our clients to know about because it will, st- it starts from your first paycheck. And so the residency time counts. Toward- so you need to have 10 years of pay from a nonprofit or qualified institution, a public entity, and you need to have, it's 120 continuous paychecks. So mm-hmm. 10 years and the residency time counts. So, you know, if you're doing that for a few years and then you can get the job and it's it all counts. And then in 10 years, your student loans are actually be forgiven in full. And, and so that's, you know, so that's why if you're on that path, we tell clients just pay minimum payments, make sure you're, you know, consolidated and you're managing them throughout time. But I wouldn't, aggressively repay them because if you're on a path that you can have them forgiven, then then you should do that. You should, you should do that. Yeah. And especially when you talk about for you, for you guys and your trajectory, the fact that you're not going to be on a, it actually works in your favor that you're not going to be on a $300,000, $400,000 a year job focus because what happens is once you get out and then you, you start you know making the higher salary, you know, you have income-based repayment programs. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're not now you don't have to pay a lot now, but then you're going to go into the income-based repayments. And what happens is a lot, of, a lot, a lot of times with doctors, if you're making that big of a figure, you're going to end up having to essentially pay off your student loans within the ten years because oh, your income, yeah. your payments are going to be so high. We have clients who, because of the income-based repayment program, they they have to pay two thousand, three thousand dollars a month to their student loan payments mm-hmm. because their income so. But what works in your favor is that it's actually not going to be that high and and the forgiveness is actually more of a likely scenario. Oh, wow. That's good news, bad news about your income, right? Right? You're not going to kill it like a neurosurgeon, but you're also probably not going to have to pay off all that student loan debt like a neurosurgeon. Right. I think the thing that has always worried me a little bit about PSLF, and we can talk about this maybe a little bit later too, but um, everyone always says it's almost at 
threat constantly of being taken away or, you know, I feel like it's like a legislative bargaining chip almost. And I, I know that people have been paid out based on PSLF, but I think it's been like a very small number of people that have actually qualified. I don't know if you... We've actually seen clients qualify and have loans forgiven. So the... the cause, oh, wow. Yeah. In the last year, it's it's uh, it's just about 10 years mm-hmm. old. So, mm-hmm. that, so we're in that time now. We're seeing that happen. The biggest thing is, um, is managing it over the 10 years and making sure your payments are qualified payments. And so that's been the biggest disconnect when people don't get forgiven it's there it's like usually a technicality of like reporting and and you want to make sure every year you know you're recertified and your payments are certified so our clients who have had the forgiveness it's they've managed it every year they've had the recertification that their pay you know counts toward the PSLF and and it's you know the check boxes most people there's like just some management you know it's just you have to pay, stay on top of it for the 10 years. And most times it's just people weren't reporting properly or some of the pay didn't count. Mm. They thought it did. So maybe they didn't have consolidated loans because that's part of it. Um, so, you know, there's some, there's, I, I think I'm, I have to find the research, but we there's a very in-depth article about the PSLF and how to make sure you check all the boxes mm-hmm. and that, and we've seen clients, we've seen it happen. That's great that you your clients have gotten it. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is, yeah. Yeah. And the thing too, Shafali too, that I say about, you know, worrying about if it's going to be taken away or not. Mm-hmm. This is also, this is a really good news if you have federal loans. And this is why we always tell clients, like if you have federal loans, like do not refinance them. I don't care what the interest rate is on a federal loan. Like you do not touch those things because mm-hmm. there's so many more repayment programs, forgiveness programs, and there is the politics of the federal loans versus the private loans. And the good news about the politics for student loan holders is there's so many of them. It, you're such a large community that actually you you're more it's more in your favor than not because the politics of it are more on your favor than not. Uh, and you look at what just happened with the pandemic. The first thing they did was forgive federal loan payments, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was like one of the first the administration made, and now they've postponed them even more. Like that's the benefit of federal loans. And I can't imagine the PSLF going away anytime soon because we need people of high quality <laughs> working in the public areas and for nonprofits. So mm-hmm. I don't see that going away. Oh, well, that's, that's lovely. That's like- yeah. And then I'm also hearing that it's all about refinancing your loans such that your refinanced loan qualifies for PSLF and then that you're on a repayment plan that qualifies for PSLF. Yeah. So it's the federal loans that are the ones that will qualify for the PSLF. And it's the that's why you should consolidate them because it puts you on the track for the repayment programs, but also puts you on track for the PSLF. Only consolidated loans. That's another thing. Like you did you consolidate your loans? Because mm. they they're not going to track all of the loans if they're not all like part of this umbrella for the for the certification. So that is a step that, ha- that that's why we say right away when you graduate, put them all in one bucket and not every loan is going to be able to be consolidated, but most federal loans are at the end oh. of it. So it's like 120 payments towards a consolidated loan and not like 120 payments in total for, for loans that were not consolidated, that type of thing exactly. that sort of makes things easier administrative. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's an administrative thing is mostly why people haven't had the forgiveness. It's mm-hmm. that's it's literally like that basic. But, you know, this is the government. So yeah. nothing's easy. Right. Right, though. And just to clarify, just speaking out of personal experience, my loans are not 
consolidated. They are at different interest rates, but they're all within the same servicer. So I'm able to make, so I, I don't think that it's like a criteria, right? That it has to be consolidated. It's just like what is recommended. Is that right? Yeah. You, you, the, you, the only way you could like with the repayment programs, you do need your loans consolidated for that. So that is part of it. And I believe you do need it for the PSLF, the consolidate, the loans we consolidate. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe they are consolidated, but consolidated means they have to be at the same interest rate, which they're not. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it it, it becomes, yeah, one payment. Okay. Why haven't you consolidated, Shafali? I don't know. I I make one payment though, and it gets distributed like equally right. to all my loans. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm actually not sure. I feel like it wasn't the one thing I knew coming out of med school was don't re, like don't refinance with a private company. That was the one thing that they like drilled into us. Right. And then it just made it very seamless. They're like, okay, you want to do PSLF? We'll move all your loans here. And I know I've made qualifying payments because oh, it keeps yeah. time that I have. Mm-hmm. But it's just weird. I didn't know that. So maybe they are. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would just I would confirm that 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 was an issue we saw with clients is that they were told that their loans weren't consolidated, so there was like an issue with that. Gotcha. But it, it could be that your loans are, you know, maybe that like the loans that could be consolidated are. It might and be so, that, yeah. But I'll check. It's always good that. to check because I don't trust. Anybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Shapali, that was a lot. Do you want to debrief for a second? Yeah, I'm real anxious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, had a, had a minor panic attack there that uh, it was all lied. <laughs> PSLF was a you know not a it's a mirage. It had I had been three years of your life that was wasted. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I'm a, doing a residency at a nonprofit hospital for nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you could have gone anywhere. You could have gone a secret. You could have gone anywhere. <laughs> Indeed. So I looked into this immediately. I just want to make just to clarify a few things. So it turns out that you do not, in fact, have to have your loans consolidated in order to be making qualifying PSLF payments in the sense that consolidation means that all of your loans are you have like a single principal that's accruing uh, interest at a fixed rate. I, I'm just using myself as an example. I have a few different loans that are accruing interest at different rates. I actually chose not to consolidate them because my goal was to try to pay off the ones that were at higher interest rates a little earlier and then leave the ones at the lower interest rates for a little bit later. I do have to make payments towards all of them every month. You can choose to sort of skew what portion of what you're paying goes to certain loans. You can pay more towards certain loans if you want to, but you do have to make payments towards all of them every month. And then just like general things to know about PSLF, you at least partially, uh, the loans are going to be managed through Fed loan servicing. Some people still use their old servicers and have Fed loans involved. And some people like myself are completely serviced by Fed loan servicing. And it's important to know that like kind of regardless of what your situation is, if you're enrolled in PSLF, you should be getting all of this in writing when you're making qualifying payments, yeah, right? Yeah. Don't let them just tell it to you on the phone. Exactly. You get it in writing. Yeah. And so every year when you recertify with them, you will get uh, or you'll have the ability to get records of the prior year's qualifying payments. And it's important that you're like routinely checking that you are in fact making those 12 qualifying payments every year like you think you're making just to make sure everything is, you know, mm-hmm. airtight. So you submit your form saying I work at a nonprofit institution. Program director everybody signs it, you submit it and then you request in the documentation they provide you how just written documentation of your qualifying payments mm-hmm. and then you'll know exactly how many you made because you're in residency and this is how many payments you made during residency. Exactly, exactly. All right. 
Well, thank you for clarifying that. And let's get back to the interview. And that's why I tell, and that's why I love, you know, that you ladies have this podcast and you're talking about this because you got to do it early on, you know, make sure mm-hmm. you're doing these things early on because 10 years is a long time. Yes. Yeah. But like, you yeah. know. Right. And then so yeah. you've got your loans consolidated or confirmed to be qualifying payments and then you enroll in a repayment program that or that's that works with the PSLF. And so that's like the pay as you earn, revised pay as you earn, and you sort of select one that and then it scales based on your income. Am I close? Yeah, and that's the other thing. You want to make sure you're on a repayment program that is qualifying for that too. That's what I'm saying was saying like uh What's an interesting dynamic is some people are going to make more and end up, they force yeah. you to like yeah. repay your loan. So they, they tell you about forgiveness, but the way you have to repay it is you're going to end up paying it off right. in 10 years. So that's another thing too. You want to make sure that the type of payment, and I always tell people, call your servicer. They are actually very knowledgeable. If, and I've done this with clients on the phone. We've called the servicer and asked these questions like to confirm that, you know, you're in the right place, you're on the right repayment program, and that, you know, you've consolidated or done whatever you could, should do for your loans. Mm-hmm. It's a great call. I mean, they're, they're very yeah. helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And know where your servicers mm-hmm. are. I, I can't tell you how many clients have like loans out there. They didn't mm-hmm. even know that they had. And, you know, and then they're not, they, for whatever reason, you know, they miss payments and then their credit is like right. a mess. because they had a a loan out there and um you know student loans are like taxes like they just won't go away Mm -hmm. and it's the life admin of like sitting down and figuring them out Mm -hmm. right it's yeah yeah now if you have private loans because a lot of um doctors end up Mm -hmm. with both it's like unavoidable because you could only get take out so many federal Mm -hmm. loans if you have private loans now you should look at refinancing those all Mm -hmm. the time you just want to get lower mm-hmm. interest rates on those. So that's a big thing about private loans. Another thing that we want to make sure too, if our clients have a lot of private loans, is that you need to think about who is your co-signer because most private loans have a co-signer. So it could be parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, or whatever. And a lot of times what we'll see clients do is... and encourage them to do is to get life insurance, like term life insurance for the amount of those private loans. Because what happens is God forbid something should happen Mm -hmm. to you. As soon as you pass, like the private loans become due on receipt and they're due to the cosigner. Oh, that's so yeah. yeah. Like versus federal loans, if you die, the loans die with you. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that. Private loans. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, Shavali, good news if you die. <laughs> yeah, great news. Yeah, that's what it's like, hey, that's, if you got no big deal. But if you have private loans, they go to your co-signer. Wow. And, and so we'll suggest clients get, like if they have $100,000 of private loans, get $100,000 term life insurance so that that would cover the payments should something happen to you. The other good news on the federal loan side is if you could become disabled, permanently disabled, those loans become, federal loans become forgiven private loans don't. So again, there's so many different repayment options on the federal side and flexibility on it. I Another great resource I tell people too is Student Loan Hero is a great mm-hmm. site for, it's free. They'll try to get you to refinance your loans. You know, everybody wants to make money somehow, but they're a really great resource for analyzing your student loans and giving you different options for what to do and telling you more about the federal loan options. Gotcha. That is great. So Going back, this is like a super basic question, but when people start residency or they're like think a major life change, you're getting a salary for the first time, 
do you recommend actually like sitting down and creating a budget once you're figuring out like where you're going to live, what your salary is, et cetera? Or do you, is there just like a, okay, just spend within your means. Like, don't like, I don't know what kind of general rules of thumb are there? Yeah. I always say budgets are like diets. No one wants right. to be on one, <laughs> you know, so it's hard. Like even just saying budgets and people like, I don't want to sit and do that. Um, yeah. You know, at the gym, we don't really use the word budget because, like, you know, it, it doesn't sound fun. No. Like, who wants to be on one? <laughs> and it isn't. So, yeah, it's not. Like, there's a reason why no one does it, right? Um, so, we, what we want our clients to do, the biggest things, like, that we want them to look at is, like, we call it goals-based budgeting. So, like, what's important to you? Where do you want your money to go? And before you even think about how you're spending money, think about like, you've worked really hard to get to this point, And now, you know, you are earning something. What makes you get out of bed every day to work? Like we, we say at the gym, like, what are you working for? Like, what is mm. it that makes you survive, thrive, excited? Like, could it be travel, health and wellness, fur babies, human babies, family, whatever? Like, what are those things? Like, list them out and then do they have a financial component to them? So, you know, travel does, right? How much does travel cost? I, I'm not doing a lot of it in 2020, but the travel industry, I tell people travel industry in 2021 is going to be like gangbusters. That's why mm -hmm. Airbnb is doing an IPO. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are going to get out at some point. And so that costs money. So how much would you spend, you know, if it's $5,000, right? Let's just say in a year, you might spend $5,000 on travel. You take 5,000 divided by 12, and that's, you know, whatever, $200 a month-ish a month. And so you set up a goal to save for that $200 mm. a month. So that's something you want to make sure you have in your budget, like, or how you're spending your money. Make sure you have that. We feel like everybody should have an emergency fund because that's like, you never know what's going to happen in life. You get, you might need four new tires on your car, like talk about the, <laughs> the not nice car, you might need a new car. And, um, and so, you know, how much can you put towards that? And then, Anything else like that, you know, we have clients who want to freeze eggs and that's $10,000. Like that's a chunk of change to save yeah. up for weddings. I mean, there's so many different things. And then, so make sure your money goes there and then look at kind of like what's left and then make your decisions after that. So, yeah. you know, if somebody tells us like that their apartment is special, you know, we have clients who live in New York, like where they live is super important to them. Like they don't want to have eight roommates. They want to like have mm -hmm. their own space. So that's going to cost more and that's something that's important to them. And so we're like, okay, great. But like, then what are you going to give up to have mm -hmm. the space? Because going back to like thinking about your money, like there's only so much pie to go around to all the things. And, you know, we, we give our clients playlists at the gym and the top song on their playlist is you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones because you can't have it all. Like, but you can get what you need and like making sure that your money goes to the things that you need is super important versus what we see as clients, the things that we just talked about, the things that are, are like afterthoughts based on how they've spent all their money before that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's nothing left for that. And so, you know, or like they're paying too much for their student loans and the other things that they don't necessarily have to do and, and who is working to pay student loans. You know, that's not, that's not something that's going to motivate you to get financially healthy versus like when you do these goals-based savings, like you're excited to save for travel. Like you're excited to yeah. save for the, the things like that helps you like balance the spending because you know, you're building up the thing that you love. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the idea of I want to take a $5,000 trip. So I'm dividing that by 12 and like creating a savings account and doing automatic transfers and that it just is what it is. Right. 
Yeah. You know, the best is like most people will book the travel, put it on a credit card and then deal with it after. Right. It's like eating Mm -hmm. cheesecake and then being like, I'll figure out how to get this weight, you know, off. And then you're going to have to like, it's game changing because of credit cards and like just in time YOLO stuff, people just spend the money and then think about how to deal with it afterward. It's just, we want clients to stop and think about it before and plan for it. It feels so much better. Even like, let's just say when we start doing this with clients and they start saving, let's say $200 a month to this account, and then they have this separate account they call travel. And maybe like something comes up in month four and they could say, okay, where, what could I do for $800? You know, like then mm. that's how you change it. It's like almost like gamifies it. Cause you're like, okay, I have $800 in my travel account. What do I do? Like, I just, I just talked to a client recently who had, you know, hasn't been traveling and she's gone through some really challenging things this year. And she was like, she got an email about this all-inclusive trip to Jamaica. And she was like, I want to do this. And she looked in her travel account and she was like, I can, and she bought a trip for her friend too, who her friend who's been laid off. Her friend's like, I can't contribute. She's like, well, I have this money in my travel account. And like, Hmm. it's like, it's liberating to know you have the money and then you can make the choice based on that versus, oh, I need to go on a trip. I can just put it on my credit card and then hope for the best. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is. That's very powerful. What do you do? So it's it seems like we've got our goal-based budget or sort of our goal-based finances set up. Student loan payments, if you're enrolled in one of these payment plans, should be a, you know, a, a portion of your budget, but not your entire budget. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend we factor in things like contributing to retirement and, and thinking about disability insurance early as a physician and, and things like that? Yeah. So of the things to fit into the way you spend your money, not your budget, the way Mm -hmm. you spend your money, um, the pie, I'm a big fan of disability insurance for physicians because you do have uh, a lot of student loan debt that could or could not be forgiven if something were to happen to you. And you are behind, and I'm saying with air quotes, behind in the earning side of of the game because you've been in medical school and like, you're not making that much as a residency, like you're Mm -hmm. delayed in that. And so you've missed this window, but I always say you can catch up. So don't worry about retirement. I'll talk about that in a second, but like you've missed the window. So if God forbid something happens to you when you really need this income and you can't, uh, you know, I, I have, um, I've had on my show a woman who's a, a doctor who her disability is like a, like a gap, like a, digestive issue like that you wouldn't like there's so many disabilities that you and mm-hmm. doctors would know more than I do but there's more you're more likely to have a disability before 62 than die before 62 so mm-hmm. you know at carpal tunnel is one I mean the things you think about like that you might need to do your job and to make that six-figure income is why disability insurance is important and it's really important you usually, like if you were to get it now, it's based on like your income you're earning now, but it's really important to change that as you make more money too, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, we've seen people get it and then it's for a lower salary amount and then something happens, God forbid. Disability insurance is not cheap um, in the insurance games, but I always say it's because, you know, insurance is like, you know, insurance companies love to insure you and hope nothing happens. Like that's why they insure. Mm-hmm. That's why like renter's insurance is so cheap because most people don't use it. Um, but I always say there's a reason why it's expensive. It's because you're likely to use it. So, you know, I would fit that in my budget somehow um, to look at disability insurance. And um, 
Policy Genius is a great site, I think, to look at that and compare rates and things for disability insurance. But as far as retirement, you know, what we always say is like, you want to have your money, life is a journey, and you want to have your money in the points of your journey when you're going to need them. And so, you know, you're going to retire at some point. We say, if you're thinking about your life as like a road trip from New York to California, New York is starting out, California's retirement. Most of our doctor clients are like starting in Maine, right? The New York because of student loan debt and like, you know, so they're like further back. But if you think about it, California's retirement, you've got a lot of road trip before you hit California. So, you know, while you do have 403Bs or 401Ks as options, you also have to have money saved before that. So our number one priority is an emergency fund. That's like mm-hmm. New York to Philadelphia road trip that you need to make sure you're prepared for. And that's usually anywhere from three to six months of your monthly expenses. Mm-hmm. Then the next thing we think about is that middle of the road trip. So the bigger things in life, like, do you want to get married? Are you gonna have to pay for the wedding? Are you gonna have children? I would say kids is like, it's like Disney World. It's the ultimate expensive off the beaten path destination to California. Yes. You're just like expensive. I mean, I have one. So, <laughs> you know, so just, so you might go to Orlando, maybe you won't see Seattle, you know, like you're not going to make it there or whatever. You're not going to make it to Chicago, but like you have to plan accordingly, but you're going to need money in the middle for that. And so mm-hmm. we really encourage our clients to set up this medium term bucket and have money there mm-hmm. and you can invest. And we, you know, we have our clients investing and making that money earn m- money, but that's a, a priority. And then third is the, is the retirement. And everything you save in buckets one and two becomes retirement. So it's not like you're not like we want a saving culture happening throughout the journey, but mm-hmm. the problem we see is too many people putting money in California, right? And then they get to like Ohio and they're like, hey, I want to have kids or I want to buy this house. And it's like all the money is in California, right? right. Like I have a couple, yeah. they they started working with me three years ago and they were you know, killing it, took their dad's advice, maxing out their 401ks, were so proud of themselves. And, you know, one of their goals was that they wanted to buy a house and they live in New York and, you know, they're looking at like a $600,000 home. And I was like, that's $120,000 down payment. You know, you need about 20% down mm-hmm. is the best practice. Can you do it with less? Yes. But like, still, even in New York, you're looking at 60 to 100,000, right? So they had 30,000 in cash. And I was like, we got to get to 120. So, you know, we actually started reducing their 401k contributions because I was like, those things are going to earn and keep growing and do their thing. But like you need to buy a house. They were also talking about having a kid and now they have the child and now, you know, they're looking at the home and now they have, we've reshifted where the money is so they can do that. Mm. But it's really important to think about the road trip and like what you'll need throughout because yeah, you can borrow against your 403b or, you know, that's just not, the best practice when you could have had the money there anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So being proactive about your long-term and your medium-term goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that you don't end up in more consumer debt. Yeah. Because you think about if you don't have, you know, if you don't have emergency fund, if you don't have cash, how are you going to pay for the four tires on your car? You're going to put on a credit card, right? And and so you might be earning eight to 9% in your 401k, but your credit card debt's a 24% and we're just not going to get caught up at that rate. That's interesting. And that's also, I feel like that's such a, it's a mental thing for after going to med school because you graduate, you're like, I'm old. I got to dump money in retirement now. And then you're right. That like, like wedding babies. What if I need to buy a car in three months? What, Uh what am am I doing with that? And where's, 
that's interesting. Yeah. And it's very easy to get caught. Like I said, you missed this trajectory that your friends have been on contributing to 401ks. You've been contributing to student loan debt, right? And it's natural to feel like I've got to get caught up and you will get caught up. Like Mm -hmm. you will, but like, you just need to know what other things you want to do in life because like, you know, your, your job is very challenging. You know, every job has its rewards and its challenges. And we talked about this. I mean, being on call, with challenging parents is like a a struggle, right? And so you have a challenging job, you want to make sure that you can have the things along the way that make the job worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, and and waiting for retirement is going to be you know, a long road. Yes. Like, when you're too excited. Yeah, when you're on call, you know, it's two in the morning with, with the kid who's throwing up and, you know, they think they have COVID or whatever. And, you know, that's going to be really challenging to like, yeah. Yeah. if you're, yeah. if you're living in a home you don't love and, you know, or like you, right. know, you can't get it, you need, mm. you need some things that are going to help you get through that too. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. That's yeah. I think ever, like it's a little disorienting. I agree to like enter it, this game. So late. like, it feels like we're coming in so late in the game and to kind of figure it out. And I have to keep reminding myself retirement money. is not like a glass jar you can break if you get like, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. like, you can't, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you in theory you can, right. I mean, the right. joke at the gym is that we're in my 401k because like I did have to go through my 401k to like build the business and Mm-hmm. I didn't have cash, you know, that much saved for it. Right. I didn't know I was going to start a business. The other thing too, that I think is really important, especially to think about why saving in the middle bucket is almost more important than the retirement bucket mm-hmm. is to think about a concept that I talk a lot about on my podcast and you hear it in the personal finance space is uh, financial independence and retiring early. And it's the ability to work because you want to work and not because you have to work. And mm-hmm. you could achieve that before 59 and a half. It, like there is a path to that, it, you know, with some planning and focus and how you do that is living off the money and the income that's in your portfolio outside of retirement. Because, you know, you can't, mm. without penalties or taxes, you can't take from your retirement accounts until 59 and a half. Right. So, you know, that's my, my dad has four kids, has four kids that like he used to joke that children are the death of net worth. Like he really couldn't get <laughs> caught up. Right. Oh, yeah. And then, but once he started on the trajectory of making more money, they became more frugal. He and my stepmom. And, you know, he had times where he just like, you know, my dad's going to be 65. I, I'm like, I, he still takes call. And I'm like, I, feel like you're kind of too old for that dad. Like, I don't know if I want to be the kid coming in when you're coming in at four in the morning, but you know, like he's, he knows at some point, you know, he'll take less call, but, um, and he's been taking less call the older he gets, but it's nice for him to know that he could walk away, you know, and that, right. that makes me feel good that he's done that too. Cause it is a hard road as any kind of position that you are. I think, I think except like dermatology, right? Like I think every other like medical profession, like I think they're like dermatology is like the the one that you don't burn out from and everything else you do. Yeah, (laughs) right. I feel like other than that, every other career in the medical profession is really challenging and you can get burnt out. And so to be able to know that you can plan, you could retire early if you wanted to is like why we would also encourage like focusing on that middle bucket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like a Roth IRA or some of the other retirement options? Yeah, I think checking the other boxes, I think, you know, a Roth IRA is a great retirement option. I would look though more if you have the ability to access a Roth 403B or because the only challenge with the Roth IRA is that you're limited in how much you can 
contribute within a year mm-hmm. versus you have bigger, you know, you can tr- contribute more in, you know, through a company sponsored program. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, we, we don't like blanketly say yes, do because like, we, we want to know your plan and like where you should mm-hmm. have your money first. But, but it's a good option. Oh, what's the difference? What's a Roth 403B and why is it different? So if you have access to a 403B or a 401k, depending on who your employer is, mm, uh, 403B oh. is is if you work for a nonprofit. It's called a 403B. It's 401k if you, if you work for a for-profit company. Gotcha. So the a traditional 403B is, is pre-tax. It's taken out pre-tax, mm-hmm. your contributions. But a number of companies now are offering the Roth 403B, which is after tax contributions that they'll take out and it just depends on you know what whether you want to pay taxes now or later but mm-hmm. you can contribute just like a regular 403b and up to those maxes which are higher than a, a your separate Roth IRA something to know like there's so many letters in retirement stuff I call it like the alphabet soup of retirement it's very it's hard. whenever you hear IRA whether it's Roth or regular, that means it's your money. It's an individual retirement account. If you if you hear an I, that means I own it. So it's me. If you if you have numbers in front of things like four hundred one k, four hundred three b. If you're in the military, it's a TSP. Mm-hmm. Those things are employer based. So that's your employer who's running the plan. That's how you kind of differentiate. Gotcha. Good to know. And when you leave. So when and if you leave a company, hospital, whatever, go to somewhere else, you can roll over from those company ones to IRAs. Everything like oh, comes your own. Okay. okay. So it's not like if I leave this hospital, that 401k sits with the hospital and I get it whenever I get it. I can actually You should take it, take it and you put it in there. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. We have clients oh. that come to us with like four and five, four, like 401k yeah. you know, uh, sitting out all over the place. And it's like, right. you can consolidate them all into an IRA, a Roth or a regular. Oh. But you could, in theory, like if I, when I leave this job, I could still log into my children's fidelity and see it, but it's just better to have all of your money in one place so it can compound interest and things like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's also when you're with the, when you're in an employer plan, there's fees in general because the employer has to manage it. Like you don't see the fees, mm. but they're there. And so they are, you know, they're managing a plan for thousands of employees. So they mm-hmm. need to, you know, they give statements, they have to do, you know, classes, whatever they have to, they have legal fees. So they take out fees versus if it's your own, it's, there's like, like no fees on an IRA. So you're, you know, and you, and you have more control over how you invest it and what you yeah. do. Like they're depending on where you have your IRA, like we've had clients, you could buy a home out of an IRA, depending on who's, you know, has your IRA funds, you can buy individual stocks and do, you just have more control over it in an IRA versus a 401k or 43 b plan. It's what the, here's your five options, you know, and this is it. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. That is interesting. That's something I truly never thought about. Yeah. Here we are. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so it's like, okay, you're starting residency. You're like, where are my loans? Let's consolidate them or not, but they got to be public because I'm not trying to give my parents loans if I unexpectedly die. Here we are. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then, and then on your way out of residency, it's like, okay, where's my, did I contribute to the children's 401k? Let me pull it out and roll it up with all of my other retirement so that I'm not still paying their fees. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Trying to think of what else you wanted to talk about. I know. This is sort of, this is definitely, we're talking about big long-term, medium-term goals in terms of paying off our loans, making sure we can retire. But what do you recommend your clients do in terms of 
monitoring their credit scores and making sure that they um, have a good credit score for when they do want to go for the house or yeah. things like that. Yeah. First of all, if you're paying to have your credit score monitored, then you're that's something should not be in your budget. You can get credit scores for free all over the place. Okay. If you have a okay. credit card anywhere, um, most of them will show you your FICO score. If like on the app or whatever, it's like see my credit score, or, like they'll give you credit report like updates. And there's yeah. all different reporting, credit reporting um, types. Like there's FICO and then there's like FICO light. There's all these different and you might like mm-hmm. transunit, like there's different ones. But what I tell people it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. They're, they're all like in the ballpark, right? So if okay. if you go on Credit Karma and it says your credit score is 750, then your FICO score is probably, which is like excellent, like your FICO score is probably somewhere in that range. Like it could be seven. 60, it could be 780. Like when you look at the ranges, it's usually they're all like within the range of the qualification category. So there's like poor, you know, average, excellent, good, you know, those buckets, there's a range of numbers in those buckets. And usually they're all within the range. So, you know, they all kind of work at the end of the day for checking. Mm. I like for if you have no idea what's going on with your credit, I really do like Credit Karma in particular. Um, it's free. They'll try to upsell you for things, but like you can get it for free. You're going to have to give your social security number. But they, what I like about them is they give you a scorecard and a report card and they'll tell you like what's going on. So like, here's why your score is 740 and it's because of utilization or it's because of a mispayment or things like that. Mm. You should really check your credit score regularly. There's been so many breaches to Equifax and like these credit money. Like at least every three months, you should be checking in to see what it is. And and the biggest thing we see that impacts tonight's credit is utilization, which is how much of your credit do you have available? And then how much are you using of it? So if you have like a thousand dollar credit card, you really shouldn't have anything more than like $350 on that card at any given time. Mm. That's a 35% utilization. That's like your, that's where we want to see clients. If you have a thousand dollar limit and you have a thousand dollars on it, that's going to impact your credit in a bad way. And you know, mm-hmm. it's the things they don't tell you when you give you your credit cards, like, Hey, we're going to give you a thousand bucks. It's like the marshmallow test, right? We're going to give you a thousand dollars, but you can't use a thousand. Can't use it. Can't spend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do, you ate a marshmallows and we don't mm-hmm. like marshmallows. So you can imagine that working with kids, right? Like, <laughs> yes. So, so that's really important to know. But the good news is it's actually also the quickest thing to fix for a credit score because you just have to, mm. I mean, you have to have the money. Make payments, if you pay right? down the card, we've seen yeah. clients pay down, they might have a high utilization and they pay down the, a credit card, whatever is the, the problem area. And their scores have gone up like 60 points in a month. Wow. It, wow. It's the quickest fix versus having a long term, the, the length of having credit's really important. And this is something that we've especially seen a problem with in the millennial and now like Gen Zers a little bit uh, of their population that they're coming out with all the student loan debt and they're avoid, they've avoided credit cards because they're like, oh, I don't want to have more debt. And I always say credit cards are just a payment method. They are not debt. Mm-hmm. Like as long as you're paying mm-hmm. them off, it's just like using an ATM card. But because they've avoided it and they think, oh, I have student loans, that's building my credit file. It's building some of it, but it's not. And so you, the best way to have like your credit report is to use it and to use credit cards. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. And to pay them off. And to pay them off. And then, because yeah. it's not, it doesn't count as utilization unless you carry a balance from month to, exactly. month, to month. Is that correct? Yeah. So as long 
long as you hit, you clear your cards every month, it's not going to hit your utilization. Yeah. Well, and, and even having utilization is fine. It's a snapshot. It's just yeah. like, you just don't want to have, you don't want to be over, you know, the 35 to 50, mm-hmm. even like the 50% is okay. But once you start, you start seeing noticeable difference in your credit when the, when the balances start growing. I also say that's also kind of a problem in your spending area, right? Like if, because why is it, why does it keep building, right? Like what's going right. on here? Because if you're putting on a credit card, that means you don't have the cash. So why it's kind of a, it's signaling to some problems yeah. too, mm-hmm. that if you can't pay off your credit cards, then you have to think like, okay, there's a problem here because I should be able to. If you do have credit card balances, you could also look at personal loans for, um, you know, dealing with that. If your credit score is anywhere over 700, you know, you likely can get a personal loan and that's taking the credit. What, why we suggest that for some clients is like taking high interest credit card debt from 24% and putting on a personal loan that's like 7%. And so you're lowering your interest and you're actually paying off the debt because a lot of times if you get too high on your credit cards and you're making payments, it's just going to interest and you're not like tackling the principal. So a personal loan is going to help you do that. And it actually, it really helps your credit score because you're going to pay down the credit card. And so your utilization is going to go down and now you've got a different form of credit and you have a lower monthly payment. So it's a good strategy. If you have some credit card challenges, no big deal. Everything's fixable. I would say too, everything's fixable in finances. Like you're behind, you know, you feel like you're behind in retirement. You feel like, let me tell you what, we got clients in their sixties who are collecting social security and we're still planning retirement. So, you know, everything's fixable. fixable. Yeah. That's good. That's definitely good to hear. Couple basic questions about credit scores and credit reports and things like that. I remember when I was younger hearing that it hurt you and it hurt your credit to check your credit score. Is that a real thing? It is. It's yes and no. So there are, there are types of checks. So one is a soft pull and one is a hard credit pull. A soft pull is nothing. That's you going on credit karma. That's you checking things. Like it's like you're, if you're going to rent an apartment and your landlord is going to check, it's when there's no credit, like that's fine. You could apply for 18 you know, I know I've heard people like scared to go, you know, apartment shopping because their landlord's going to check. That's a soft pull. So that's fine. You could have a million of those because it's not going to lead to more credit. That's the biggest Mm. issue is like when you're pulling Uh your credit and you're going to take out more credit, that's the problem. So that's a hard pull. So when you're going to get a new car, when you're going to get a mortgage, when you're going to get a new credit card, that's called a hard pull. And that's when they're taking your credit score because they know they're going to give you more debt, more credit. And the problem is why that's kind of, why that's bad for your credit is that why do they need, you know, why are they pulling their credit? Like they're going to take more. So that could be a problem because you might have a harder time repaying it. So it will actually, you'll have a, it'll, no matter what your score will go down probably about 30 points. If it's a hard pull, like if you get a credit, you know, car, whatever, it'll go down, but it'll go back up within 90 days. As long as you don't apply for like 10 credit cards, you know, what happens is you applied and then they're then, so you just get dinged right away because you applied for credit. But then like they see that you haven't applied for more and you're not, you know, everything's fine. And so it goes back up again, naturally. 
But, and also to note, if you're looking for a home or a car, you can apply for a number of loans at that same time. So, because they, they know it all kind of washes out. Mm -hmm. They'll know, oh yeah, like if it's Toyota Motor Finance and Honda Finance, they know it's the same type of loan, you know, so it gets kind of like a wash. So you can shop and, and you should. And that's not going to impact your, I mean, it will like just because it's a hard pull, but it's not going to impact it. You can, you should shop rates and things like that. So you don't need to worry about getting too many hard credit pulls from different car dealerships at once if you really want to be strategic about your car purchase. Yep. Because it's all going to be a wash at the end of the day because they know you're not going to buy 18 cars, right? So, right, right. Mm -hmm. Or five homes, you know, it's just for for one, it's comparison shopping. But yeah, so so things like Credit Karma, things like your app or whatever, looking at your credit score, those are all soft checks. And it's, it's not a big deal. And you could even see why it doesn't have a ding. The agency could see who did the pull. Like if it's XYZ landlord, they know it's rent, you know, they know he's not going to give you a loan. It's not for like a personal Mm -hmm. loan. So it won't impact you. It's just when you're going to apply for new credit is it will you will have a hard pull, but it'll come back up in 30 days. We have a lot of clients who do credit card churning and hacking for travel, like for travel reward. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. I was just about to ask for that. So if yep. you, the next question I have is this, if, you, if you say you do open a couple of new credit cards because you're trying to get deals and things like that, if you close them, does it go back up? Like, does that, how many open credit avenues yeah. you have affect your credit? You can have, I always tell people, you could have 8,000 credit cards. It's not, your credit score is going to be fine. It's just how yeah. much balances do you have on those credit right. cards? It's like if you're, your yeah. problem. Right. But you do, if you do want to keep your oldest credit cards, you do want to keep forever, not the store cards. They don't really impact, but whatever your first visa, uh-huh. whatever was, um, that's, that's holding your history, which uh-huh. is a big part of your mm-hmm. credit score. I've had clients, I had a client close out an HSBC card. That was her first card. She didn't even think about it. Her credit score went down 90 points because oh my gosh, all of her credit yeah. history was gone. And, and then it's going to take- oldest line of credit. Yeah. It's going to never, never get rid of my Bank of America card, even though it oh doesn't do much. Yeah. <laughs> never get rid of it. Never get rid of it. Hide it somewhere. It's, it's your the keeper of your history. So you need wow. that. Yeah. I had no idea. I just assumed it's credit that you've opened. So it stays with you. I didn't think it was tied to the account. It goes with way. the card. So keep oh. it forever. Yeah, you'll lose and then you can't build history except with time. You know, no, so like no. that so you don't want to do that. But as far as like the churning, what we what we have clients do is they'll open up, you know, like let's just say Chase Sapphire preferred card in September and their score will go down, right? But then they'll they, usually it's about 3 months to get to get the rewards like the spend is like within a 3 month period. They get they yeah. do the spend, they get the $20,000, whatever, 20,000 points, whatever the sign up points are. And then by December, you check their score, their score has gone back up again. Then they'll do card number two, like the Capital One Venture card. They'll do the spend on that. They'll get the rewards on that. And then by March, they're ready for the Wells Fargo, whatever card. And then mm-hmm. so they do it every three months because about every three months, your score will go back up. And then as far as canceling those cards, they're not really, you can keep them. We have clients keep them for overall utilization because the more cards you have, like your utilization is, True. is it helps your credit. But if they have annual fees though, you have to look at that. So you don't want to pay annual fees because they're not, these new cards that you're doing for the churning aren't helping your history. They're helping utilization. But you know, if you're not really, it, you don't need it that much if you're not going to, you know, the utilization is not that much. It's not worth paying $400 a year for the card. So 
but we've had, but if, if a travel card is at one of your older cards and it's keeping your history, we do tell clients to call. If you, if you are paying a fee for a card, you should always call the credit card company and ask for the zero fee card version, like to downgrade to the low mm. fee or no fee version. Um, if you've paid a fee on a card this year in 2020, absolutely call your credit card company and ask for those fees back. This is the time to ask. They are, they know we're in a pandemic and people are struggling. So, you know, even if it's an annual fee, which the annual fee, they don't always refund, but we're, we're seeing clients get annual fees refunded in 2020. Wow. So oh, wow. Well, for any fees, this is, like you called Chase and it's like, I would like to pay zero dollars in fees <laughs> and they yeah. just don't refund it. That's wild. Yeah. I was, I, my follow-up question to that, which is not really for this podcast, but just for me personally, <laughs> is now a good time to open a credit card with an annual fee then because you could ask for the annual fee back in like a couple months? Or yeah. No? I mean, they probably won't give it back to you right away. Um, right. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I, I you know, because you just yeah. on the card. Um, right. We've only had it seen it with clients who've had like cards for a while. Oh, got, it, got it. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um, um, and then... This is not an actual podcast question, but what is the difference between a FICO score and a regular score? Because FICOs are what the credit card companies offer. I've seen like a huge advertising push in the past year or two to be like, check your FICO score. Yeah. From what I've seen, it fluctuates also. Again, like we talked about based on like your throughout the month, your billing mm-hmm. cycles and things like that. And so how is that? Re- is it real? Is it? Yeah. But FICO is, is um, it's a, it's just a, way to um, assess your credit worthiness. It's like, it, it's a company that assesses your credit worthiness and it's based on, you know, these five factors, like your history, your payments, like that kind of thing. Um, and banks typically use it for uh, credit purposes because it's been around forever. And it's like, it's a good indicator of like you being credit worthy, like that they should loan to you. Um, uh, but like I was saying, these other like credit reports that you'll get that might not be FICO, they're going to be close to FICO. So um, they use a lot of the same metrics. That's what I'm saying. They're going to be in the same ballpark. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but if um, you do apply for credit that they'll typically use your FICO score, the, the problem, and and they've talked about new FICO and new reporting methods, like, because it is antiquated. And a lot of times, like they, they're going to use your payment history and they're looking at credit cards a lot because they're looking at what they look at is um, what's, who's reporting on you to the credit, the, the three agencies, the bureaus, um, which is like, TransUnion, Equifax, and uh, Experian. Experian. Um, so what they do is they pull together like uh, who you know is reporting on all three to you. And the, the the problem with it is that most people don't report that you're like your landlord doesn't report that you pay your rent every month, right? But you're paying your rent every month. Um, but like Bank of America is going to report that you paid your credit card or you're like good every month. That's just the the credit card companies do that. It's part of the process. But um, a lot of times people only report you for negative things. So like if you didn't pay your Verizon bill or whatever, like Verizon will report you, but they don't report every month that you're paying your bills. So, oh, that's just mean. That's silly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Things, right. And right. That's the problem. Yeah. but um, yeah. So so there's some factors of FICO and there's, and people are trying to move away from it. Lenders are trying to move away from it. Cause like, why should you, you're like, you could, you, you could be managing your bank account perfectly fine. And maybe you don't want to have a credit card. Um, but, but it, that's the way it is. And and they've talked about for years, like a different approach, but 
it is what it is. I, you know, I always tell people just pay your bills. <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah. the yeah. best way to have a good credit card. Like, just make things. Right. And the thing is too, with making payments, like just again, going back to the credit cards, like just as long as you make a minimum payment, that actually counts as a payment. So you don't have to like, yes, it's ideal to pay it in full, but just at least make your minimum payments because that's as good. Actually, credit card companies don't want you to pay it in full because they make money off the interest. But like, as long as you're making a minimum payment on all of your debts, then you are in good shape on your credit score. Mm -hmm. When my Chase app shows me a credit score, is it like, are you ever concerned? I know that you just answered this question. Are you ever concerned? It's like vanity sizing where they're like, like Chase is like to just telling me good things about myself by like bumping up my credit score a little bit. No, because they don't. Uh, okay. it's, it, it, it's, it has nothing to do. They don't have a skin in the game. Where, where, yeah. where you need to be concerned is when they start offering you more credit. That is like. But isn't that a, that's like a sign of like good credit though, right? I feel like credit cards and companies never take the risk if you don't. If you, yeah. you know, we've had clients who, you know, they're concerned about like they get a notification I, and I don't think in since pandemic, because we're heading into a recession, you're seeing this as much as we were pre-pandemic. But if your credit card company is offering you a higher limit, you should take it. That does not count as a hard pull on your account and it helps your utilization. Now we've had clients been offered higher credit limits and they have spending problems and we're like, don't take it. <laughs> um, if you yeah, know it's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. yeah. But if you're offered it, you should take it if you yeah. know it, because it will help your credit, not if you're going to use it. Right. right. If they're trying to push you into worse consumer debt because they're getting a return. That's yeah. different. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's a difference between like being offered it and if you're, or, or I guess, is there a difference if you're offered it versus there's like sometimes pop-ups on the app being like, you're already approved for this card. Yeah. Like, is that a difference in terms of, if that you, is okay. yeah, if you're offered it, they've already, they're already going to give it to you and there's not like a, a process. If you're pre-approved, you have been targeted. They know your FICO score and they know you're a likely candidate and you and you are likely to get it. I tell when we have people who are looking about personal loans, I'm like, if you've gotten an email or something in the mail from like LendingTree or Best Egg, if you've gotten something from one of those, you you have a high likelihood of being approved for it because they do know quite a bit about you. So if you're thinking about it, I always tell people go with who you've been get, getting mail from because they're likely to approve you. Um, mm-hmm. Versus like, you know, SoFi is really tough to get a personal loan from. Um, there's some we just know about and you don't want to apply and then not get it. And now you've got the hard pull and now you can't yeah. apply again for three months. You want to feel confident that, especially if you need a personal loan to help you with the credit card stuff, you want to feel confident you're going to get approved. So mm-hmm. if they've mm-hmm. already sent you stuff in the mail, then they're likely to approve you. Gotcha. As opposed to going after like a goal personal loan with maybe a really low interest rate, but they're not going to approve you. And then it's yeah, your account. yeah okay. especially if you need it, because like so now you're gonna have to wait three months. So your score goes up again yeah. and apply and hope for the best. Interesting. Hmm. Well, Shannon, this has been an outstanding episode. Um, anything else you can think of that you like? You just wish medical residents knew when it came to their finances. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, a few things. I, I think, you know, I always say we, we hear a lot we, at the gym, like there's a lot of fear and shame around money and certainly a lot, you know, afraid you're not going to get caught up in retirement because you spend so much time in school and all the debt, afraid you're not going to pay off student loan debt, ashamed that maybe you're not saving enough. And, um, and I always say like, again, everything you do financially is fixable. So let it go. Right. Um, and, and, and have a plan and really, especially for women too. It's like really 
embrace it. You know, big thing that we hear on the shame side is like, I don't know about money. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I don't know what I'm doing about money. I don't understand money. And I would say if personal finance is like a language that, you know, you have to learn like another language. And the problem is we don't learn about it in school. We probably didn't learn about it at home. We're not learning about it on the job. So why should we know how to speak it? Right. So drop the shame around that. Like, why should you know Greek if you never learned Greek? (laughs) So stop with that shaming. That's all shaming. But there are ways to learn about it though. So, you know, let's try to break the cycle. And, and the biggest thing is, you know, is just finding the way it is another language. It's sometimes very difficult to understand, but I love, you know, if you have people listen to podcasts, there's a lot of great podcasts. Um, I think it's actually really great to learn about personal finance, like hearing it because reading it and all the jargon is like, it's, it's like, again, it's like reading another language and it might not stick. And I think a lot of times hearing it is going to be really helpful. And, and then, you know, just start, start practicing it and talking about it and you will feel less shame. You will feel better prepared. And and the other thing is like anxiety, a hundred percent of people have financial anxiety and it's easy to have it, but you will feel less anxious if you are, you know, looking at it, like, it seems like you don't want to look at it, like, don't want to pull up student loan statements, scary or whatever, don't pull up your, but they're there and they're not going to go away. And so it's like just hitting it face on, you know, head on is, uh, you'll actually feel better. That's great. And so, yeah, so you're, you're super smart people. You're always say doctors are way smarter than me because I could never go through that much schooling and education and you can be super smart in money too. Don't, don't have the, you know, that I hear that a lot, you know, the doctor mentality of like, you know, you'll out earn your way out of, you know, your finances. Yeah. You get into trouble too. Right. Right. You could sit down and learn about this. Not, and you should. And I think some of yeah. them learned. Okay. Like <laughs> way easier. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was so great. I and I, I'm just excited that we get to talk about this like candidly and that it isn't shameful. Cause I think there there's such a like lack of information out there, especially for residents. Um, yeah. But it's like, where are we supposed to learn this? We were literally in school for a decade. Like, who, yeah. And this didn't come up, right? <laughs> Except to get disability yeah. insurance, right? Or no, not refinance your, per, 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 like, that's, the, that's, the, that's what you got. Yeah. That's the one nugget that we did. Which is a good nugget. It's a really good nugget. Thank you. I want. Yeah that I would love for especially the residents to feel like is like get out of the broke mindset of like the debt is like part of the gig too. Like Mm -hmm. that is, you know, I think that's a big problem is that everybody's just like, Oh yeah, we're all in debt. We're all in debt. We're going to be in debt. We're not anything like break that. Like don't keep piling on the debt. You know, like you can like just stop eating the cheesecake and like Mm -hmm. prepare yourself. Cause then when you do get that bump up and you are making you know, more money, then you're, you have this, it doesn't have to go to repaying debt, you know, it could go to all the, the joyful things in life. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you so much. This is so great. <laughs> yes. Yes. Where, if listeners are interested, can they find um, the financial gym? Yeah. So we're at financialgym.com. Um, they, we have free warm up calls where they can, you know, find out more about what we do. Um, also we're on Instagram at the financial gym. We have a ton of free content and resources like talk about educating. We have a ton of it. We call it gym explaining instead of mansplaining. So we explain it in English and <laughs> jargon. So pride ourselves in that. So happy um, for you guys. Shannon, to check thank you that so out. much. Thank you. Yeah. thank you. Well, Alice, that was a great episode. I agree. I learned so much, arguably mm-hmm. too much. <laughs> I know now. <laughs> 
I have new answers, but I have more questions now. And I think I'm going to like spend the next hour and a half like going through all my bank accounts, essentially. Yep. Yeah, I'm just going to take a browse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like the the metaphor for financial fitness and physical fitness is like such a nice way to look at it because it's like, again, marathons, not sprints, looking at goals that you can work towards and like what drives you what motivates you rather than like this is a budget that i have to stick to even though it's not fun or helpful to do that so i don't know i really just enjoyed that whole thing oh i i couldn't agree more i love the overall part of your wellness and then i also honestly really needed the push towards the mid-level goals right like everything in between getting loans paid off and retirement yeah new york to california exactly it's the perfect metaphor <laughs> it's, it is truly perfect um so we learned a, a, a lot. I think I'm going to throw in a, a random tip of my own that I heard from are a resident. Are you going to hit us with a you're gonna, you're gonna hit us with your own <laughs> tip right now? Are you closing this with an additional tip right now? Um, I feel pretty confident in my financial advice. No, I'm just kidding. Do not take any other financial advice from me. But I heard this from a resident before I started residency, and I have never forgotten it because it happened. It, I, I didn't learn from the advice at that point. And that advice is, you know, your schedule is going to be a little crazy in residency if you haven't noticed already. Night shifts, day shifts, a little unpredictable. If you can set up some form of auto payment for your major accounts, so your electric bill, your water, your cable, your internet, whatever, uh, your major credit card or, you know, that is something that I would advise you to do uh, early on because there will come a time when even if you're really on top of things, you might forget a payment and you just don't want that to, you know, bite you. And I, like I said, did not take this advice, had this happen to me early on and rapidly recalibrated and <laughs> put on a yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh so. my gosh. That's also... It's interesting to hear it again because even though like my credit cards are on auto pay and and like gas bill is, I, th- I feel like there are still things that I could automate, right? Like a doctor's mm-hmm. office copay, little things like that where I'm still, why am I still getting bills for this? It's 2020. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Just take one other thing off of your extensive admin task list mm-hmm. of residency. Yeah. But thank you so much to Shannon. This was just such an outstanding episode. And to be honest, we only scratched the surface. I think there's so much more to cover here. And so more so than anything, we just want to hear from all of you guys. If you have questions about finances that you want to discuss or or tips of your own, we'd love to hear them. I feel yes. like this is an area, again, that we don't talk enough about, but everyone has a different perspective on it. So please reach out to us, Instagram, Twitter, email. We are waiting to hear from yes, you. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>